Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Do that. Head back to the center doors. Um, <clears throat> really great to hear from, from John. John, thanks again for, for being here. John also mentioned to us this morning about uh, a conference in Tokyo going on in November, so that's kind of an exciting thing to consider. So if you get a chance to talk with him. Uh, after service, you might want to ask him uh, about that. Uh, let's open our Bibles to the book of uh, Genesis 26. If you didn't bring a Bible, we do have paperback Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you, and this passage will be found on page 12, <clears throat> uh, Genesis 26. So, um, well, it's been said, you know, re- repeatedly here, this is uh, Mission's Sunday. Um, this is all kind of an outflow of one of our core values. Here at New Life, we have five core values. We try to highlight those so that you can know what we're about as a church. One of those core values is, is evangelism. And so it, it indeed is uh, very important to us as a church that the gospel be proclaimed and that we be people who share the gospel with others and call others to faith in Jesus. John just um, <clears throat> mentioned in his prayer that in our equip groups, uh, the book, I uh, can't remember the name of it, Personal Evangelism, is that the name? Honest Evangelism by Rico Tice is the book that the equipped groups are reading. So it's all about personal evangelism. Um, <clears throat> still room to get into one of those groups if you're interested in that. Um, as we think about personal evangelism, we're generally thinking about sharing the gospel with neighbors, friends, coworkers, family, you know, people who are kind of nearby. Um, <clears throat> But when it comes to foreign missions, we're thinking about how is it that we share the gospel with those who are far away? And that can be something very easy to forget, right? I mean, we see our family and coworkers and neighbors on a regular basis, and we're reminded very often that they need to hear the gospel, but we're not always thinking, are we, about the people of Japan or the people of India or the people in China? It's kind of out of sight, out of mind frankly, is kind of how it tends to work. And so that's one of the reasons why we do this missions conference every year. We just want to remind ourselves of the absolute essential importance of taking the gospel to all nations. Now, last Sunday, we began this new sermon series in Genesis about the life of Jacob. We studied the birth of Jacob last week. And so we're going to stick with this sermon series, and it just turns out in God's good providence that this passage, I think, applies pretty well for Missions Sunday. Um, So last week, birth of Jacob. This week here in chapter 26, it's a bit of a flashback. I I think this goes back before Jacob's birth, actually, because the focus is on Jacob's father, Isaac. So Jacob doesn't really show up here in chapter 26, but it is about Isaac, Jacob's father, Abraham's son, Isaac. And what makes this very relevant for us this morning is that uh, Isaac is really in kind of a missionary situation. Uh, So here you see a map of uh, the promised land uh, before Israel settled in the land. But what we're going to hear about is uh, Isaac going into uh, this place called Gerar. And uh, he also goes to Beersheba. But um, notice here it says Philistia. This is the whole region of the Philistines. And so Isaac is entering into basically a strange and foreign land. He is a sojourner. 
chosen by God to be a light to the nations, going into a foreign land, uh, a place where there's a different culture and people are worshiping different gods, and there is a strange ruler, a guy named Abimelech, who's in charge. Uh, John File said this morning that missionaries or missions is, is kind of the process of going across a barrier, he said, which I think is a good way to define missions. It's crossing a barrier, going into an unusual place with the gospel. That's, that's what Isaac is doing uh, in our passage today. And so I think there's some things to learn here about foreign missions. Now, this passage is really long. It's 33 verses. So what we're going to do is just take it in chunks. So I'm going to ask you to stand now if you're able and um, we're just going to read the first five verses, and as I get to the other points, we'll read the remainder of the text. But what we're considering here is the great promise that the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So, Genesis 26, 1 through 5, it says this, Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham, and Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Holy Spirit, would you please come open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So three things. Uh, that comes out of this long text here about foreign missions. The first thing I want to show you here is that the task of foreign missions is initiated or was initiated by God's promise, God's promises. Okay, so the the passage here begins, again, with Isaac in uh, a foreign land. He went into Gerar, where Abimelech is king of the Philistines. You know, the Philistines have traditionally been an enemy of Israel and God's uh, people. And God tells Isaac that he should not go down to Egypt. So uh, on the map here, uh, Egypt would be off the map here down to the south, uh, southwest over here. And um, Isaac is, is here, and the temptation would be to flee the famine and go to Egypt. And uh, God says, no, you're not going to take the easy way out. You're going to stay there uh, in the land. And then he... Um, speaks to Isaac here in verses 3 through 5, and this is where we see this wonderful, great, redemptive promise that God speaks to Isaac. And he says to Isaac in verse 3, he says, I'm going to to bless you. Um, He says also in verse 3 that all of this land here is going to be uh, yours. It's going to belong to your offsprings, to your descendants. And in verse 4, I am going to multiply your offspring uh, beyond your wildest imagination, as many as the stars of heaven, you know, a countless number of people uh, are going to come from your offspring. And then also there in verse 4, we see this great missionary promise. In your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. 
All the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Not just you, Isaac, not just your family, but all the world. Now, what this is, is a, it's a, a reiteration or, or a repeat of the promise that God made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12. We covered that, I don't know how many years ago, so it's been a little while. Uh, <clears throat> but you might remember what Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says. This is just an absolutely foundational text for the whole flow of the biblical story as well as for foreign missions. God comes to Abram and says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So hopefully you see the, the similarity between verses 3 through 5 in chapter 26 and these first three verses of chapter 12. They're basically the same thing. So here God is giving this promise to Abraham. Well, Abraham is dead by the time we get to chapter 26. I think his death is recorded in chapter 25. And so what God is doing here with Isaac is he's saying this promise is still going to be kept alive. Just because Abraham is dead doesn't mean the redemptive promise is over. So God comes to Isaac and gives him the same promise. And God is going to go to Jacob later and give to Jacob the same promise. And so this promise is one that began with Abraham, but it's, it's continuing. It is unfolding over the course of many years and many centuries. And we see here one thing is just the slowness of God's working. As God takes his time in fulfilling his purposes. But the thing I, I really want you to see here is that is that the whole task of foreign missions didn't start with the Great Commission. You know, we see in Genesis 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, <clears throat> it's a very important passage for all missionaries. But we shouldn't think that missions began with Jesus. The, the initial impulse for world foreign missions goes all the way back to Genesis 12. It goes all the way. This has always been God's desire, always been His passion, always been His commitment that the whole world would be reached with the gospel. That all kinds of people from all kinds of languages and all kinds of cultures, people very different than you and me, that all kinds of people would come to know Jesus. And here's the mistake that Christians so often make is that we tend to just flock to people who are just like ourselves. We tend to be nervous about people who look and act and speak differently than we do. And we tend to believe that the gospel is our own little private possession. I mean, it's wonderful to become a Christian. We hear the good news about what Jesus has done. We believe upon his name. Forgiveness of sins is ours. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're assured that we're loved by God for all eternity. And it's wonderful and we rejoice and we're so glad. <clears throat> and so many of us can remember the day when we became a Christian and understood what it was to be forgiven. But then we begin to assume that like this is the end of the line. Like the gospel has reached us and now it stops. But that nothing further could be, uh, nothing could be further from the truth. Um, <clears throat> with the great privilege of being redeemed, comes the great responsibility of telling people about the Redeemer. Okay? With the great privilege of being redeemed comes the responsibility of telling people 
about the Redeemer. Imagine a, a doctor at a hospital, and, and he comes into possession of all of the latest, greatest medical equipment. He's got state-of-the-art stethoscope and um, <clears throat> x-ray machines and oxygen machines and MRI machines. He's got the best equipment, and what he does is he takes it all back to his house and puts it all in a closet and just waits until his family or he happens to come in need. And then he gets out and uses it, and once he's done, he puts it all back in the closet. What would you say to that doctor? You'd say, doctor, you are missing the point of the reason why you have that equipment. You have a job. You have a responsibility. Yes, take care of your family. But you possess those things so that you can bless others. And the same thing applies to us who have received the gospel. God has given this to us to save us, but He's also given it to us so that we would proclaim the message for others to be saved. Michael Goheen says this, God's chosen people do not exist for themselves. The community called by God exists as the place where God begins His work of restoration and as a channel whereby that salvation might flow to all people, all to the praise of His glory. So missions are initiated by this great promise of God in Genesis 12, repeated here in Genesis 26. Friends, if you are a Christian, you are on mission. Do you know that? You're on mission. So act like it. Act like it. All right, second thing uh, <clears throat> to see from this passage is that missions are, uh, the task of foreign missions are complicated or is complicated by worldly pressures. By worldly pressure. So let's see how this works. I'm going to continue reading 6 through 22. You can remain seated as I continue reading. 6 through 22 from Genesis 26. So Isaac <clears throat> settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister, for he feared to say, My wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. Uh, so Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. 
Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. All right. So missions are complicated by worldly pressures. So the whole idea of missions comes from the heart of God who wants to see all kinds of people saved. But although God has given that promise, there are certainly no guarantees that missions is going to be easy, that there's going to be a number of different complications that face those on mission. And so we see two kinds in this kind of long passage. I'm going to say there's like an internal pressure and an external pressure here, okay? So the the internal pressure is in verses 6 through 11. Um, where we find that um, Isaac finds himself in a difficult situation, basically because he has a very beautiful wife. (laughs) Rebecca is a a real looker, it says in verse 7. And uh, Isaac becomes afraid as he starts to settle in this land because he's convinced that the men of Gerar um, are going to desire his wife and they're going to kill him and take her for themselves. And so, what does Isaac do? How does he uh, address this situation? He lies. He makes up a story about Rebecca being his sister instead of his wife. And uh, as the passage goes on, you can see Abimelech is kind of scandalized by this. Uh, Why did you do this? Someone could have lain with her. You would have brought guilt upon us. It would have been horrible. Uh, What are you doing, Isaac? What's the matter with you? Why are you lying to us like this? Now, this should um, sound familiar to you, again, if you remember what we've been looking at in Genesis over the years, because this is exactly what Isaac's father Abraham did. And in fact, he did it twice in chapter 12 and chapter 20 of uh, Genesis with regard to his wife, Sarah, also beautiful uh, in appearance. And so we might say, why is this in here again? This is the third time in Genesis we have this kind of story of a guy lying about his wife because he's afraid that someone's going to kill him. And I think one thing we can draw from this is just the very simple cliche that the apple just does not fall far from the tree, as they say. <laughs> that, um, that, that we just tend to be like our parents in, in many ways. Isaac here, I think, is inheriting a sin pattern in Abraham, and he's finding it kind of rising up in his own life. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've said certain things or reacted to certain things or just phrased certain things, the way I've said things in regard to a particular situation. I think to myself, that's just exactly the way my dad would say it. My sister is pointing that out to me. Man, you're just like your dad. And that's not always meant as a compliment. (laughs) God bless my dad. But... um, When we become Christians, it's true that we become new creations in Christ. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We we are different in many ways, but we're not completely different. Um, We still retain the DNA of of our parents, and sometimes that brings certain sin patterns and levels of dysfunction that just don't disappear on the day that we become Christians. And, And so, you know, many of us have kind of worked through these things, perhaps, and have mastered some of these things that we've inherited, but for some of us, it's a besetting sin that just continues for our whole lives. 
And we're seeing this here with, with Isaac. It's an internal pressure that he's dealing with. He's dealing with uh, a, a wife that's desired by other people, at least in his own mind. He's dealing um, with his own persistent sin. And so this is a complicating factor for Isaac. But, but the other thing we see here is there's this external pressure also, verses 12 to 22. And it involves this dispute over uh, water rights. So there's this kind of lengthy description of these arguments that are going on about water. And you might say, why are they arguing about water so much? Why don't they just go home and turn on the faucet and get the water they need? Well, they didn't have that back then. Uh, and remember, this is in a, <clears throat> during a famine, as verse 1 tells us, there was a famine in the land. So water is scarce anyway during that time, and now you've got a famine, so it's even more scarce. And Isaac has all these flocks and herds that he needs to water, so um, water is, is super valuable at this time and not easy to come by. And uh, <clears throat> we learn that the Philistines, when they saw how Isaac was gaining in wealth, that they, they envied him. And so what the Philistines did, just out of spite, um, verse 15, they go and they stop up all the wells. They dig up all this earth and dirt, and they, they put it in the wells and stop it up so you can't get water out of them, just to make Isaac mad, because <laughs> they're envy. That's what envy does to people, right? You, you just do foolish, petty, silly things. And so here's the Philistines filling up all these wells, and so Isaac has to get busy. And so verse 18 tells us he starts digging these new wells, and uh, when he does, the locals come around, and they say, no, that land, or that water belongs to us. It's our water. So they got to go dig elsewhere and try to find th this water. And so it's just this, this quarreling, arguing, difficult people who are making life hard for Isaac. And it's just this kind of irritating headache of worldly pressure. Isaac's got to deal with this. What a complication. You know, Isaac's been sent into the land. He's been given this great promise from Abraham, and he probably thinks he's going to be sharing the gospel with people all the time. But no, he's got to deal with these irritating Philistines who are making it hard for him to get water. And I think there's just a reminder here uh, about the difficulty of work on the mission field. You know, I think sometimes maybe we can romanticize or idealize what it is to be a missionary. We think that, oh, what they're doing all day long is conducting Bible studies and sharing the gospel and just and they're reading their Bibles and they're praying. They're just always doing these very spiritually oriented things, right? That's what missionaries do. And of course, they do that to some degree, but very often what missionaries are dealing with are just worldly pressures, day-to-day -day hassles and headaches like you and I deal with except they're dealing with it in another culture, in another place that makes it even harder. So I talked to John File a little bit. He shared a little bit about some of his struggles, but something that he, don't think he mentioned, maybe he said this last night, but you know, he, he has a, a daughter who, um, it was discovered she had some dyslexia <clears throat> problems. So she had some really severe reading problems. So she needed help with this, but the kind of help in English that she needed was not available in Tokyo. So, you know, they're there to share the gospel. They're there to build a church in Tokyo. And now here's this situation. What do we do? They ended up having to, to come back to Indianapolis, actually, to get the daughter the help that she needed. She's doing much, much better now, so that was a happy ending to, to that story. <clears throat> um, 
That's just one of many different kinds of stories. I think John also told me about uh, his wife's, Sarah's siblings, who ended up having some marital difficulties, and those marriages ended up failing, and so that became a big burden for Sarah, and so she's trying to minister to her siblings who are in the States, and like, we just, we don't think about that very often, do we? That's the kind of thing missionaries deal with. I talked to Matt Winninger. He told a story of how when they got to Spain, uh, in their very first holiday in Spain, very first Christmas in Spain, their water goes out. They have no water. They can't take a shower. They have no water to cook with. They can't even use the toilet. And they just got in there in Spain. And they're thinking, Lord, why now? Right? <laughs> Thanks for sending us here, but what in the world is going on? It's just... The task of foreign missions is complicated by worldly pressures. Sometimes it's people like the Philistines filling up wells. Sometimes it's the problem with a child. Sometimes it's the problem with your plumbing. But let's not forget this, friends. I'm telling you this to increase your empathy for our missionaries so that you know better how to pray for them and so that you know better how to encourage them. Missions is, is not easy. But the last thing I want to show you is uh, that the task of foreign missions is perpetuated by God's provisions. It's perpetuated by God's provisions. So let me finish out this chapter, verses 23 to 33. So from there, he, Isaac, went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When, Abraham, excuse me, when Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ehusa, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of the army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac set them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. So God gives this promise for missions, and, and Isaac goes on to the mission field, so to speak, and it's complicated by worldly pressures. But, but we see here at the end the way that God is blessing and caring for Isaac. And so there's two ways here. First of all, we see God through his promise again. Verse 24, God shows up and speaks to Isaac. And we get another reiteration of the promise. And God says, I know. It's like he's saying, I know you've been through hard things here. It's difficult. I just want to remind you, Isaac, that you don't have any reason to be afraid, that, that I am with you in this situation. It's like God is saying, the pressures are real, I know, but my promises are real also. My promises are still true for you, and that's what every missionary, every person on mission needs to remember. In the middle of the difficulties, the promises don't go away. 
God still says that my power is made perfect in weakness. God still says that my word will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire. God's word still says every knee one day will bow and declare that Jesus is Lord. Those are the promises we receive in the New Testament. They are still true. They are going to be fulfilled. And so let's not forget the promises of God. God is so gracious to come to Isaac here in the midst of his pressures and remind him of these good things. But then we also see God blessing and encouraging Isaac through his providence. Very interesting what happens here uh, at the end. Verse 16, uh, Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us. So basically, um, Isaac got expelled from the, the area. You know, which sometimes happens to missionaries, right? They fall out of favor with the leader. They get kicked out. And uh, that, that's what's happened. But guess what? In God's providence, verse 26, Abimelech apparently has a change of mind. And, and he comes back to, to seek Isaac out. And, and he brings his um, advisor and his commander of the army with him. And they come to him, and all of a sudden, they're not so hostile. All of a sudden, they want to be friends, with Isaac. And they say, we, we want to make a covenant with you. We want to enter into an agreement with you. Why are they doing this? What, what happened? What was the change of mind? And you see it there in verses 28 and 29. We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. We, we recognize something about you, Isaac. There's something different about you. You're blessed by the Lord. The end of verse 29, he says the same thing. You are now blessed of the Lord. It's like Abimelech is saying, the Lord is with you, and I want to be part of that. I want to benefit from that. I want a piece of that. Now, am I saying that Abimelech is getting converted here? No, no. But it feels like what's happening here is that he's one step closer. He's moving in the direction of a relationship with Yahweh. I think I've said this before, and I think I heard this from someone at Crew, that sometimes when we evangelize people, if we think like on a 10-point scale of zero being atheist and 10 being Christian, that we sometimes evangelize hoping people will go from zero to 10 in one meeting, (laughs) when maybe it's better that we look for someone to go maybe from zero to two. Let's get them to two first. And then maybe later we can get them to four. Someone else will come along and get them to four. And maybe a few years down the road, they'll get to six. And maybe a few years after that, they'll get to eight. It feels like here Abimelech has gone from zero to two. And that's a good thing. That's, that's progress. And what we're seeing here, I think in this text, what God is showing us is that he, he is fulfilling his promise to reach the nations. It's happening. Even with the king of the Philistines, it's beginning to happen. And friends, today God is continuing to fulfill that promise as the good news of Jesus Christ is proclaimed in all the earth and the power of the Holy Spirit. These promises are coming to reality today. I saw this Pew Research Center poll in 2011 that said the number of Christians in the world has quadrupled in the last 100 years. And that a third of the world's population identifies as Christian. Now, we might identify with what makes a real Christian. I, I understand that. But, but just consider that. The, the number of people considered Christians today is about 2 billion. All right? And then you look at this promise. 
where God says, I'm going to multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens. Do you see what's happening? God's doing it. He's doing it. He was doing it in Genesis 26. He was doing it when Jesus came on the scene and when he sent out his apostles to declare the gospel. He's been doing it throughout church history, and he's doing it today. He's doing it right now. He's doing it, and he's using us. He's using John File, and he's using a whole host of others who have taken upon themselves the task of spreading the gospel. It's an exciting thing to be a part of, and God will continue to bring this to complete success before he comes again, and we long for that day. God in heaven, thank you so much for your word, the wisdom of your word, the power of your word. And um, God in heaven, I pray that you would encourage all of our missionaries to remain faithful and to trust that you will fulfill your promises in your good timing. And nothing will stop you from doing that. We thank you for that. Pray that that would encourage us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.